0: Hi, I'm Justin Hayat, and this is 36. The Lamed Bav Siddiquim is a tale built on the idea that out there in the universe, somewhere in the far corners of the world, there are 36 anonymous, really good people who hide in the shadows, but step forward when we need them most. In 2020, somehow, I managed to get on a plane to Israel to find out more about these secret souls and hear their stories. This is my journey to find wonder and goodness in our once magical world. We met by mistake. I went to interview his roommate, Uri, who you'll hear about in a later episode. Anyway, Uri whispered to me, you know, my roommate Barak has quite a story. He was severely injured in combat and is now on the Israeli Paralympic rowing team. Uri told us, I don't even know if he'll speak to you with the microphones. I had never met an Olympian. I once met Michael Phelps' mom at a P.F. Chang's though, and I had certainly never met a Paralympian. I'm not sure I'd even met a rower. So we took our chances, and we invited Barack over for breakfast and an interview. To our surprise, he accepted our offer. We ordered tons of fruit and pastries, sparkling water, and still, and invited him into my Airbnb. We didn't know what to expect, what to ask, what could we ask, and what couldn't we ask? Could we ask him how he was injured, how we overcame it, how we even became a rower? He knocked on the door and walked right in, a handshake and a slight smile with mutual relief. Both of us were a bit nervous. Food was our icebreaker, hospitality my olive branch and my questions a rough roadmap into the life and mind of a world-class athlete. This is my conversation with Israeli Paralympian, Barak Hazur. We are here, we have baked goods, but the person who's sitting next to me will not be eating anything but the fruit on the table. And that is because he will be heading uh, to the Olympics. So his name is Barack. There's a lot of food in front of us. I will eat maybe one more croissant and another uh, Danish, but you will not. Why
1: won't you? You're watching yourself or what? (laughs) (laughs) So I won't eat those kinds of things because I'm uh, an athlete and in two months less than that, I will go to compete in the Paralympics, in the Olympic Games. In Japan? In Japan, in Tokyo. So I need to be fit, and those kind of things won't make me fit. It will make me slower. In the States, it's very uncommon to meet someone who will go to the Olympics or the
0: Paralympics which are the same thing, right? It's a level of physical, mental, emotional, spiritual strength that most people in their lives will never even come close to. So it's a truly an honor and a privilege to meet you again. So tell me about your like life, your childhood. You grew up in Israel. Tell me about uh, this
1: experience, just your story. I was grew up in the north of Israel. In, uh, it's called the Israel Valley, Emek Israel. In a small small village, the name of it is Hoshaya, Mitzpah Hoshaya. It's a small orthodox place. When I grew over there, I knew everybody. I was playing uh, football, soccer, basketball, tennis. I ran, made all of those kind of things because it was it was my, my, my passion, my fan. And I started to play basketball when I was really young. Until I think the 12th grade, I played basketball and played volleyball. And then uh, I recruited to the army and when i was thinking what to do in the army i thought to myself that i want to to give as much as i can because this is how i was raised to bring back to the country that that I was growing and i joined the paratroopers what year 2005 we had um information about terrorists that want to come and, and make a terror attack in israel and in this we're not waiting them to come and then arrest them. We need to go to surprise them in their houses. They were in the West Bank, in Jenin, and in this kind of, uh, of activity, you you going on night. You're trying to be like undercover, like they won't really know that you are there. And I remember it. It was 15 years ago already, June 2006. I was a driver of, of one of the of the vehicles over there, on our way to arrest them in Jenin, they made a, a kind of an ambush, and my vehicle went over a kind of an improvised mine, and on the first moment there was a big explosion, and after two seconds there was another explosion. It was underneath my my jeep, my car, and it started to like at the first moment I I saw just just dark because before that it was. During the night so when we go over there we, we won't we won't be with the with the lights on so I had a kind of a night vision yes night vision on my eyes so I can see like in green vision but I can see pretty good but when we had the explosion so it just um, was broken and I just couldn't see at the beginning and after a while I started to smell the smoke inside the car so I knew that I cannot stay over there so I just evacuated myself, I just opened the door, threw myself out, and when I landed on the ground, I felt that something's not good, not if not working in my legs, and I felt that I started to get burnt in my hands, and this was because maybe parts of the explosives or part of the, I don't know, from the oil from the engine, I don't really know, but I couldn't stay over there, so I started to crawl. And, to take myself away from this place. and like, after a few meters, I just turned and and looked on the car. I just tried to to see to calculate my my situation, to see what what is happening now. And I can hear my buddies um in the vehicle they' trying to to tell them the other uh, crews that was with us that we just got on the explosive on the mine. And I was thought to myself, okay, now I'm outside in an area that maybe there are terrorists here. I'm not with my weapon because a weapon that I can defend myself because when you drive in those kind of cars, you cannot hold your weapon with you. At the first very moment I was afraid from kidnapping that someone will come and kidnap me. And then I, was, I, I called to my friends that they will know that I'm outside. And I was trying to cause them on one hand that they will hear, but if there are terrorists outside that they won't hear me, so it was like a silent call or a silent shout. I don't know how to, to say it. And after a while they just came outside and they made a circle of three hundred and sixty degrees like around me and just protected me. And one of the medics came and asked me back, What is going on? And told him, Listen, I something in my legs is not fine, not alright. And after a while they will start like shooting outside, so all of the guys trying to to answer to the shooting uh, places, and I started to crawl back to the car to try to protect myself to to be maybe underneath it just to to find a cover, and then after a while, a few seconds. All the guys came back into the car because it was um, how you call it, like armed, armoured. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It was a, yeah. We had like this heavy. shield that
1: uh, yeah against the bullets. So heavy duty. Yes, and then when I came into the into the car, so this the first moment that I felt the pain in my legs because yes, before it was like adrenaline, yes.
0: confusion, rush. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. So so in these circumstances, I think that it kind of protected me because. I could also think in the proper way, think that I should crawl and then go uh, to the other side, or go to protect myself and under the cover. And I was evacuated to one of the hospitals in Israel. I had a surgery of seven hours that uh, trying to fix my legs that got broken and really damaged. Yes, I think that at the first moment that I woke up from the from the surgery, I saw like my parents and my. My officers tell me that, don't worry, everything will be fine. Did you believe them? I think that somehow, yes. But then I looked on my legs and I looked on my hands and I saw that I'm all covered of uh, bands. And others. And you're
0: probably on heavy medication. So you know that you're not feeling everything that you normally would feel.
1: Yes. true. And I thought to myself at this point that my career is over, like I'm... Career being army career, like you, you thought not you were... just army career. Like a career, it's it's a kind of phrase that uh, that I'm using. That it's it's not just the army. The army I understood that I won't be back to the army, but the career of me doing uh, sports as I used to do before, or just going to hike or whatever. And things maybe it will be different now. And yes, I think that it was um like a kind of a. Uh, you know what is the word that when you just suddenly understand something?
0: Yeah, it was like a eureka moment. You're like, yes. Like you that. saw. Yes. No one could tell you. You knew. Yes. Tell me about the recovery.
1: Yeah, So the re- rehabilitation process started like right away. So I had this one month that I still been in the hospital and had a few more surgeries. And then after one month, I was transferred to to Shiba Taylor-Schomer Hospital that it's a re- Rehabilitation hospital, and over there when they brought me into the to that place, so on my right hand side I saw someone on wheelchair, on the on the other side I saw someone with an amputation, and I thought to myself, Barak, listen, maybe the situation seems not so good, or maybe you won't be able to be back to what you did before, but. You have your whole body with you, you the situation was could be worse than that, than what you have now. And maybe it's a good point to start and try to to open your mind and to see to see what the environment and your friends and your family can give you. Because till that point in that month I think that I was depressed and, and just look on my pain and and didn't see the whole picture and the moment that I could do the, the zoom out and just see all the other things that I have that I maybe I can achieve I think that this is the moment that I feel that I started my my rehabilitation process um I think that this this was the point and this proportion that I just uh, this aura that you said before so I can use it also now this point that I could see that, it happened to me in, a, in an extreme situation that won't happen to most of the people, I think, I believe. But I think that also everyone can see it in his own life. So it can be, I don't know, um, in your uh, family life or uh, economical life or with your job or whatever. You have your, your places that you, you have your uh, weak spaces or weak uh, spots in your life. But if you can do just a little bit, zoom out and see the whole picture, I think that you you can really benefit from that.
0: So talk me through how long was kind of the rehabilitation, how long till after you went home. And then also, you know, what was the process of starting to be active?
1: So after this one month in the hospital that I was transferred to the rehabilitation center. So I was there for two months in the rehabilitation center. After it, I just, finished this acute process, and I moved to my parents' house. Yes, in the Galil, right, in the Israel Valley. And I had a wheelchair these days, and also crutches, like, just once I, I, I went with that, once with the, with the other thing, and started to do physiotherapy in Beit HaLochem. it's a it's a kind of a country club that people that get wounded during their uh, service can go over there and do re- other kind of rehabilitation. It can be physiotherapy, hydrotherapy. Uh, they have the gym over there and many kind of sports. And I've been there like four times a week. And you know, on the moment that I came inside, so I saw, I saw the table tennis um, place and I saw the, the basketball court and I saw people playing. Wheelchair basketball. I thought to myself, "Okay, this is interesting. I want maybe to try to do it and like to continue to my rehabilitation process. And when I finish, so I will go back and play basketball like I did before." Also, the
0: the feel of the ball and shooting—it probably is a nice, familiar feel in a different way.
1: In a different way, in a different height. Yes, and it different, but it's like a challenge, and I like challenges in my life. So, so I started to do this kind of thing, the wheelchair basketball. And I think that the, the moment that you can go back and do things that you did before, maybe in a different way. So it gives you a lot of strength and power and uh, energy. Yeah. And we started to do it and because I used to play wheelchair, I used to play basketball before. So really fast I I got to the Israel national team. It was in 2006 when I got injured, and in 2007, on May or April, when I went to my first practice in the youth national team, they told us, listen, guys, in five years, you we have the Olympics in London, and you're going to be there. They told us, we want you, the wheelchair basketball team, that now our practice here just started, that you will be there. And this... Gave me like a, it's a dream. I think that it when you're a kid, when you're a child, one of your dreams, if you doing sport, it's to be in the national team, to going to the Olympics. or I don't know, to be in the TV. And on my regular path of uh, of life, if I wouldn't get injured, so I could not do it at all because I'm not uh, maybe tall enough. I'm not talented enough, but. When I get injured and get to that kind of world, all that opportunities like open to me. You know? So
0: it's amazing. Wow. That and the fact that this is what your mind went to. You use this opportunity to say to yourself, Wow, now I could actually maybe be competitive for a sport that even in the Jewish state <laughs> with a lot of short people, I wasn't competitive
1: for. Yes. It was amazing and and after a few months I was got to the, to the national team, so...
0: National Paralympic, national Israeli Paralympic basketball.
1: Israeli wheelchair basketball
0: youth. When, when you had that realization, right, when the seed was first planted, like, wow, there could be a future for me in the Paralympic sports world in Israel, internationally was there a moment where you kind of was like, I could do with this. This is cool. I probably wouldn't go to the, I don't know. I didn't know you before and I don't make judgments, but maybe you wouldn't have gone to the Olympics, um, you know, without the injury. Yes. Do you think that's true. a fair statement?
1: It's, it's true. Yes, I wouldn't.
0: Was there a moment where you were like, wow, this is my shot?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think that when I realized that I can do it and it was like in a distance of touch because the, The wheelchair basketball team of Israel, like the not the under twenty three, the Israel national team, they went to the Olympics a year after. Okay, and they they went to Beijing in two thousand and eight, so it was really there, and and I believed, and I started to practice a lot, like every day. I came to Bet Halochem to do this physiotherapy. After it, I went to the practice of the, of the basketball after it, I went to the gym, after I went to the swimming pool, and just was aimed myself to be, to get to the elite level, as much as I can. Is it a
0: stretch to say that in Israel, the Paralympics have a different meaning, have a different undertone, are covered maybe even with the same, if not even more of respect in Kavod than the Olymp- Israeli Olympian team? Is there more respect for the Israeli Paralympic team than there is for other Paralympic teams because of the Israeli experience. I
1: think that, I don't know, I think that you can um, maybe divide it to for more, more than one aspect. I think that, if I understood correctly your your question, so on, on one hand, the respect that the Paralympian in Israel get compared to the Olympian in Israel. So I think that we get respect, but it's finished on respect. I mean, like the badges are different. And if I want to, to get a medal, I need to practice all day. And unfortunately, I think that in Israel, as much as I know, I don't know really other countries, but in Israel, an athlete not really can do it. Uh, I say in the Paralympic world, if you, if you don't have any other sponsors than the country, because the country gives something. But it's not enough just to do, to get what the country gives you and do sports all day. So in this aspect, I think that there's not enough, no, not respect, but how to say it, like um like we're not worth enough, I think. And I think that may- maybe the seed over there, it's about, there's not much support of money and, and sponsors in this world because I think people not really see it because it's not getting broadcast. And... And maybe we can ask the question, so what came first? It's not broadcast because it's not interesting or it's not uh, people don't know about it because it's not broadcast? And also, you know, the second
0: you win gold, everyone's your best friend. And they were always covering you, always cheering for you. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And I think, um, you know, I think, I mean, how many people are on the Israeli Paralympic team and how many people are are on the
1: Israeli Olympic team? So um, for this... This campaign we have thirty people in the Paralympic team. Yes, in no all kind of sport in Paralympic delegation, and the um, the Olympic teams are ninety nine zero.
0: So are you gonna compare when this is all said and done? How many medals your team, which is a third of the size of the other Oli- bigger the other Olympic team, are you gonna compare the difference? Who got more medals?
1: Uh. It will be, it will be in, in the media. I think that people will try to compare. I think that we will bring more medals than the wow. Olympic team. You know, Israel was a country that brought many medals um, fifty years ago, forty years ago, and the world uh, really progressed in this sports in the Paralympic sport and started to put money on it. And you can find in other countries that this is what people do: just doing the sports. And uh, medals in Israel started, in the, in the Paralympic world, started to get lower and less and less and less. But still, I think that from this from these games, we'll be back with a few, med- few medals. I hope that also the Olympic team will do. But I think that we will have more. Tell me about the moment. You're a rower. Tell me about the moment that you
0: first rode.
1: After a few years in the wheelchair basketball world, I've been in the national team. Like I qualified to the national team. And after... The European Championship in 2013, when we finished... It was a great
0: time, the European Championship in 2013. Yes. I was there, yeah. yeah it was, it was in great.
1: Frankfurt, time. really good weather and
0: stuff. But bad meat, bad food, but good <laughs> and good beer. That's all you can say about yes. uh, this I understood
1: in that competition that I won't get to the Olympics in this kind of sport. Because we just finished in the last place. And then, you know, that all Europe, all the players over there do it and get money for that. And they can can do just it. And in Israel, it's not, it didn't happen. So... I did the shift to the rowing world, and on the on my first day, it was a it was a little bit different because it's a sport that there is no many things that, that influence the sport like basketball. Like you know, when when someone passes the ball to me, on someone try to block me, or when I shoot the ball, so many things can happen. In rowing, it's like um, it's a sport that it's a routine sport. It's like swimming. It's like running. You do all the things back and forth again, there's not really something that's happening that can influence you of course there are this there's many things that can happen and influence you but not like not like the the world that I did before and it took me time to start and and love this sport because it's different i'm a I'm a person that like excitement things that's happening I think that things will happen and in this world of rowing it's hard work but it's not that you have many things that happens outside all the time.
0: Very simple in a way.
1: Yes, somehow, but you need to have a strong, a strong mind, I think, to be really focused, to be on it all the time. Like,
0: yeah, be... How many years before um, now have you been rowing?:
1: yeah, So um, I think maybe almost seven years. Yeah, so I started in 2014, and um, less than a year after we, we, we qualified to the world championship. This was the competition before the Rio Paralympic Games, and we didn't qualify to the Rio Paralympic Games. And we continued to practice. And after a while, the the successes
0: started to come. Do you ever harness the adrenaline of kind of that night where the incident happened? Do you ever think of that in your rowing? Or do you really have to put that aside and focus on the sport itself and draw inspiration and power and strength mentally and physically, emotionally from other things. What role does that play in your kind of like Olympic journey?
1: So during my practices and my competitions, I'm not thinking about about my injury, about what happened in this night and what brought me to these days. I think that I'm just like another athlete, if it's an Olympian or a Paralympian. That just doing the sport to try to do it the best as you can and try to remember and know that all the time I have more to give and it's not finished right here when I feel that I have no more energy. I, will, I know that I have more, I can do it better and, and maybe I feel now in the middle of the race after uh, three quarters of it that I'm done, but I know that I have more and I should dig deep inside to, to bring it out. But for your question, no, this kind of thing, I, I can think about it during the day. I have my, I can look on my legs that I, every morning awake with them, I can see my scars and the thing that happened to me. But when I'm doing my sports, I'm not really thinking about the disability or, or the good thing that brought me, but also the adrenaline that helped me. It's all like outside, I'm trying to be focused on what I'm doing.
0: How do you find that focus and that strength to pull it out and keep rowing?
1: On the hard times, I'm trying just to get remember what I need to do because I have a few things that I need to do um, to get it to move better or to take more strength. But I think that also the strength comes also from the other people in the boat. We are four rowers and one coxing that navigate the boat and tell us what to do. I want that job. You can do it. You can do it. You need to be (laughs) like... This
0: guy, you people are (laughs) schwitzing and sweating. And this guy just steers the boat
1: and gets to go to the Paralympics? So it's more complicated than that. First of all, they need to be like in a certain weight like uh, uh oh sorry i wouldn't I wouldn't qualify, <laughs> um, maybe you will fifty five kilos Are you more than that, or what's fifty five kilos it's like uh hundred and ten pounds, yes, no. more, or less. yeah,
0: I will not be qualifying for uh, for this position, but um, thank you so much for the opportunity,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, but you know the um, actually, this role in the in the boat is the most important one because when we row, we roll backwards, we cannot see where we're going to, and Our coxswain, she knows what happened. She needs to to know how to bring the the best of us and to bring us, everyone together and in the right time. Because if she will do it too soon, we can burn ourselves. And I think that the qualification, we qualified to the Tokyo Paralympics thanks to her because if she wouldn't be there or someone else uh, would be there, so I don't think that they would be able to do it good as she did it, and at the end of the race, her heart rate was like us.
0: The other people on your team, are most of them uh, Paralympians because of incidents in the army, or is it kind of chetzy chetzy, half-half?
1: Yeah, so… And do you speak about it with them? Yeah, so we speak about it. So it's kind of interesting. So we are two men, two women, and one coxing that can be a man or a woman. And the other guy is, uh, also has a disability, but not in his body, in his eyes. He was wounded when he, when he was in the army and uh, there was a tunnel that was from Gaza trying to go to Israel. And when, when they found it, the, the tunnel, so it got exploded and he lost his eye vision. And the two other girls, one of them was an Olympian in Athens. 2004 she was in the um, judo so she hurt her shoulder and now she with us and the other girl she has also she's not seeing so good these days and she's losing her vision so like in a few years she she won't be able to see so they they both didn't get injured during the army service.
0: How do you wrestle with the fact that your biggest challenge or tragedy in life also led to what could turn into your biggest achievement. How do you think about that?
1: So it's amazing because I think that on one story, you can have more than one point of view. And I could be this guy that just um, something happened to his legs, cannot do the thing that he used to do before and to be depressed from that and maybe... Angry, mean. Yes, right. And and there are those kind of people and I I can't blame them because everyone has his own story and his own um, support environment. And I think that I was really lucky to have a good support environment. And the half that I grew in, that I was uh, learned, I don't know if it's the right word, but, but not to give up. And I think that when I saw the opportunity, to do wheelchair basketball at the beginning because I could say to myself, I don't want to go to wheelchair again. And it is not me, but I saw it just, uh, you know, like you have this racket to to the best, the, the bet for the baseball, the racket to the tennis. So this is what it was uh, for me, just an instrument to do what I like. I think that I really grateful to the place that I'm here today and I can Fulfill my my desires and the things that, that I wanted when I was a kid, when I used to be a kid and a child. And and now I really have the opportunity to do the things that millions of people dream on. Who and what are you going to think of when they say 3, 2, 1? Uh, it's a good question. I think that I would try to think about nothing. Okay, I would try to be focused because... When you think about other things, so your mind get distracted and the boat's not moving well. But I think that maybe on the opening ceremony when I walk will walk in the stadium and I hope that there will be these fans and so probably the story of my life will be like in front of my eyes. What's one line, story, verse,
0: poem, Talmud, Torah? What's the one line? that keeps you going and is that the oil in your tank that keeps you focused and moving every day that just sits in the back of your
1: head? I can say that there is this one book that that I read someone gave it to me when I was in the hospital it's called um, in Hebrew around the world in 80 not days in 80 ways and someone that made many kind of cool and dangerous things and when I read it I like I saw that then the sky is the limit. It's a kind of a, of a book and a story that uh, really influenced me.
0: Well, there are many ways to triumph. And uh, even if uh, it doesn't work out in the Tokyo, mazal tov. vote And uh, I will eat this croissant in your honor. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Barack.
1: Thank you very much.
0: question I'm sure you're asking is, did he win? What were the 2020 Tokyo Olympics held in 2021 even like? Did he catch COVID before, during, or after the competition? Did he help pull his team and nation to victory? Well, in the months after the interview, I tried to think about him as more than a medal and more than an injury, more than a rower and more than a veteran. I don't care to summarize him in a word or a ranking, an injury or a sport, but you expect a summary, so I'll give you one. Barack is simply a champion. Like a runner, a rower only knows one direction. Onward. Thanks for joining me on 36. This podcast is hosted by me, Justin Hayat. Our managing producer is Sarah Shemla. Our executive producer is Attila Samfalvi, and our editor is Robert Scarmuccia. This is a production of Soul Shop and sponsored by Bnei Zain. Please rate and review this podcast in your podcast app of choice and share it with your friends, your butcher and your Shad Khan. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you again soon.